0: Hello everyone. Uh welcome welcome back to the B-side with with me. Um uh, today I got a, a, a very cool guest, my friend and the uh, fellow fellow podcast host, Quinn. Hello. Hello Quinn. Um we just shot a podcast for his show, the 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 Art and Science of Controversy.
1: The Art of Science oh. and Controversy. I'm so offended.
0: <laughs> the Art of Science and Controversy. I'm sorry um please check it out it's a great show it talks about all sorts of, of interesting controversial issues everything from how bugs can be used to find um criminals to like russia and war i think it's it's awesome so please check them out uh where, where can we find you
1: uh instagram and tiktok you could find me at tsac.podcast. that's t-a-s-a-c it's actually on the shirt, I don't know if you can see that. I'm very proud of this shirt. Uh, and then on YouTube, Anchor, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the works. At the Art of Science and Controversy. Awesome.
0: Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. Before we, we get into it, I just want to um say a little land acknowledgement because we are on unceded territory of the Musqueam, the 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 Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh people. And I think it's really important to know where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um. But before i get too deep into the questions i i want to give like a quick structure onto the episode just how i've like written down my questions a little bit Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that quinn does and i would love to dig into them this 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 dude has an unbelievable amount of hobbies very very multi-talented so i want to get into that and then after i want to get more into like the why of it Mm -hmm. so just starting with that easy question uh to get us rolling Mm -hmm. How, how have you been today
1: Good. You know, I, I, I got up early. Um, I, I like to brag that I get up at 5am because it makes people impress, but uh, I normally don't. Today is one of those fun days though where I did, so that, that uh, made me feel productive. And um, yeah, just having fun with a lot of podcasting today. How yeah. are you?
0: I'm, I'm doing good. It's been really fun. I haven't been asked questions on a podcast before. It was <laughs> like a very different experience.
1: Yeah, it's unusual.
0: Truly. Well, you're getting that right now. Yay! Uh, why Why the heck do you wake up at 5 a.m., Quinn?
1: Well, I used to wake up around 4.30 a.m. Um, honestly, <laughs> I think it's more just a mental thing. I really love to use my morning as a relaxation period. So what I would do, I would get up really early and then just watch YouTube and eat a lot of food for the whole morning and then go to school. That sort of has grown into um, a more productivity-based habit. I still do spend the morning as my relaxation period. But I try now to work in um, a little bit of podcast editing editing, editing, or work on my business and stuff like that in the morning as well. Um, although I, I often do fail at making it productive. It's just such a nice time to relax.
0: It, it, it's crazy. I'm usually like asleep.
1: <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I respect that. I think it's awesome. My, my mom does the same thing and I just think she's a lizard. But shout out to my <laughs> mom. She's great. Um, what, what inspired you to start your podcast?
1: Oh, gosh. I'll see if I can remember. <laughs> it seems like so long ago. In fact, it was. Um, I started it in September of this, of last year, 2021. Just as school was starting back up. Just out of interest. One of my friends, uh, fellow rock climber, uh, Jalen I don't know if you know Jay
0: I've probably seen them around but I don't know them by name
1: they uh, they have a podcast two podcasts actually I dare say I can't remember the name of one of them and the other one is very hard to pronounce you could probably just look up Jalen Bastos on Spotify and find their podcasts really interesting stuff used to listen a lot I dare say I don't so much anymore but they sort of got me into it and encouraged me because I'd always wanted to podcast. I thought it would be very interesting. I've always wanted to be uh, present on the internet, providing people with information and entertainment, combining the two as best as possible. And they sort of encouraged me and inspired me, really, to start. And so I did. And then more recently, I've gotten more and more into it uh, over the course of this recent school year um and i have that just because i've been able to incorporate it into school projects and things like that so it just helps to encourage me to do it because although there's no monetary gain just the pleasure and then being able to use it for school projects and things as well is very nice
0: cool yeah that's that's really cool i didn't realize there were other podcasters in the in the hive though i guess it would make sense i guess it's mm-hmm. a pretty like common hobby nowadays everyone's got a podcast yeah everyone and their grandma was like i got nothing <laughs> to do during covid let's just talk to people um you think you can give me a quick pitch for your podcast?
1: Yeah. So the sort of scripted version that I have written down everywhere on my social media is it's taking controversial issues and explaining the science behind them. In reality, it's much more loose than that. Some episodes will be entirely based on science. For example, the other day, I just recorded an episode about battery technology, how electric power can be stored via different mechanisms, both chemically, mechanically, uh, potentially with uh, gravity stuff like that other episodes will be entirely controversy based for example the one that we just did looking at drug use drug addiction disorders and how those uh play into the world how they can be solved uh so it's really just a mishmash of science and controversy hence the name
0: very cool um what has your experience been setting it up like how did did you go about choosing your gear um, what what has the whole like audio editing process been
1: like for you? Yeah, any hiccups? I'm the type of person that I don't like to watch YouTube tutorials. I will just get the software if it's free, just try it out for a few days, see whether or not I like it for myself. I'm very very bad at listening to other people and their advice, so that's what I do. That's my strategy. It works wonderfully when this stuff is free, but uh, for things like my microphone, I did a little bit more proper research. Uh, but again, I'm very much a trial and error type of person. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to go to Best Buy. I've heard good things about the Yeti microphone. So I got it. They have a return policy. So I tried it out and I, I liked it. So I kept it. That's my strategy. It's not a very good one, but it works. And it's what I well,
0: like. It clearly works. The, being good or bad is just a, a judgment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Do do, do you have any big dreams for your podcast you got any goals or like future guests you'd be really keen to interview
1: Hmm. That's a good question. I think my goals Would be to make it into something where I have I don't know how to word this That's a really good question. I don't know how to put it into words the answer. That's okay But I want something where I can make contacts with people in the scientific community so that I have those contacts to explore further in the future and talk more to people uh, whenever I'm interested in the subject or have some use for information on the subject. And yeah, just making contacts, getting to know people, and then also taking those contacts and being able to educate other people by sharing those contacts and their opinions with the world. So I pretty much never speak on my own podcast. I just play dumb and ask the questions and lead the guests on. But I interview, uh, for example, doctors—not necessarily of medicine—but uh, doctor doctorates. Um, so, for example, Doctor Paget, who I interviewed a few few weeks ago about the Russia-Ukraine crisis, and just taking those contacts, building them, sharing their opinions and the information they have with the world, and um, yeah, that that's sort of the goal with the podcast. I obviously money would be nice.
0: Money would be nice.
1: Um, I think that's everyone's goal is to make a little on the side. That never hurts. Uh, a little bit of something for all the time put into editing and recording. But um, yeah, definitely the contacts and the... Educa- ed- yeah, gosh, clearly I'm not very well educated. Educating of people uh, is the primary goals.
0: No, I think I think your mouth and your brain are just desynchronized at this point in time. It's a bit right. disorienting to be like listening to your own voice and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, you're free to ask me questions. This isn't a one-way street. Yeah, thank you. Um, Just saying. Uh, Do you have any dream guests? Is there anyone you'd be like super keen to interview?
1: Uh, I know the very cliche answer is Elon Musk. Unfortunately, I'm going to go that dreaded route and say Elon Musk. The elongated
0: muskrat himself.
1: Yes, it's been said so many times before by so many other people. But I really want to know more about not his scientific backgrounds or SpaceX or anything like that. I just want to know how he looks at business more. Because he's the type of person, he founds a business, gets it successful, and then he's out. He moves on to the next idea. He's he's not in it for the money. The money is, I think, secondary to him. I think he's in it for the idea. Once he's made the idea, then he will sell the company and move on to the next idea. Take the money that he got from that previous company and the idea it was associated with and put it into that next idea. And I think that that is incredible. And frankly, I, I think I would get too sentimental if I had companies like those. Get sentimental with the companies, not, not be able to sell them and move on to the next idea. I think that's what's contributed to his success, and I want to learn more about that.
0: Interesting. I think that's a great, um, a great way to look at it. Because yeah, a lot of people want to want to talk to him about science and stuff, but he's been a very successful businessman. Very, very much so. I, I, I you, you did kind of reroute my questions, but I think this is really interesting. Um, I know you have your own business that you're doing. Yes. 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 <laughs> that's a that's an iffy, yes. So I'm curious how's that been going for you? Um and I'm I'm also extremely curious as to what you've learned and like how interacting with people through it has been.
1: Yeah. Well it's sort of a timing issue. The holidays, for example, as for how it's going, wonderful. Like I had this one weekend I hol- I sold two thousand dollars worth of product in about two or three days. Really? Uh via a pop-up and a retailer. Um, stuff like that. So since the holidays, I have not sold a single product. Wow! So yeah, it's uh, very timing based. But it's uh, for anyone who may not know me, which I'm assuming is all of you. Uh, the business it's called West Coast Soapworks. It's developed for people with skin conditions like rock climbers. And ex- as an example, I'm a rock climber, and I'm in the rock climbing community. I work at a rock climbing gym, so I developed this skincare to solve the issues that rock climbers face, especially, especially since I have eczema as well. So that is not a good combination. I have a lot of skin issues on my hands primarily, and so I developed products to help solve that for people. And that's that's the company. And then the issue is, of course, getting it into retailers, getting it into people's hands that want to be able to use it. and Getting people to know about it—that it is a natural, organic, handmade option for people with skin issues—if other things aren't working, that they could try my product—and just getting the information out there's the hard part.
0: Yeah, well, uh, for people who are wondering, how how can we find your product? How do we how do we get some some high quality West Coast Soapworks in our hands?
1: Yeah, so you could just look me up, uh, just on the website, which is WestCoastSoapworks.com. You could also go to the Instagram account, which is westcoast.soapworks. And you can see all the information there. Also, the uh, website link is on the Instagram account, so you could learn through the bio. And I have an about page on the website itself, so you can learn more about the product and about myself and what the goals are there. But yeah, just helping people, pretty much.
0: Very cool. Um, what, have, what have you learned about soap? I'd imagine it's not one of those <laughs> things you can just be like, oh, "I'm going to buy three ingredients, throw them together, and
1: sell them." You got to do
0: some trial and error. You got to like yeah. research in a little bit.
1: It's really funny because it has nothing to do with soap. I haven't developed a single oh, soap pro- hand, product. Hand creams, hand creams. Well, I am. Um, as for why I called it West Coast Soapworks, I owned a soap company when I was nine, is when I founded it. Um, oh, I so you've been in
0: this for a hot minute. Sorry, you've been in this for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I started when I was nine. I had to abandon it when I was 10 because my parents moved. I'm originally from New York. I grew up there. When we, uh, when I turned 10 around that time, we went for, um, well, a bit of a voyage. Lived in Turkey for a while. France. Moved around the place, all over the place. And then eventually moved here, Vancouver. So that was a soap company. I wanted to re-found that here, but I thought, you know what? Skin skincare is better. It's more marketable it makes more sense it's an issue that i have experience with i can put that experience in i can test the product on myself make sure it's good and then get it to people who want it and need it and so i, d- I decided to go with skincare uh, instead but i kept the name west coast soapworks just because i thought it's a it's a nice name and you know it's, it's not taken so i think i'll take it inspired by my previous ventures nice um, Sorry, what was the
0: original question? That's that's more than okay. <laughs> no need to apologize, Quinn. Or, uh, my question was, what have you learned about making hand creams?
1: Yes, yes. Oh my goodness, I get sidetracked easily. Me too, eh? don't worry about it. I've never been on this side. Normally I just play dumb and ask a question and I don't have to be the one elaborating. So what I've learned, again, it goes back to my personality. I'm very much trial and error based being that way and being a little bit of a perfectionist. I could just get stuck on a single product for a very long time. And you might think that over time, I'd get better and better at developing products. Ironically, the eighth product I developed, the eighth one out of 20-something, I think 24, 25 now, the eighth one is my favorite. It's the best. It's the best selling. That was one of the first things I developed. That's when I was originally just saying, you know what, I'm just going to throw coconut oil in there. I'm going to throw some sweet almond oil in there and see what the hell happens. That's the stage I was at when I developed this product, my best-selling and my favorite product. So going back to the idea, you'd think I would get better? No. I've gotten more consistent at developing decent products, developing good products, and weeding out the ones that are quote-unquote okay, but not good enough. But... The best isn't necessarily when you would expect it to come. I think that's an interesting lesson. I'm not sure how it applies to the rest of life, but it's interesting to look at. And then, of course, uh, making business contacts, speaking with people, talking to retailers. It's a really good experience. And although I've not made much money, although I've not met many people, and although I've not gone very far with it yet, Just the experiences themselves are incredible life lessons, very valuable, and so if you have any hobby at all or any ideas that you want to turn into a business, I would highly recommend it because the experiences you'll gain what with talking to people, marketing yourself, and developing social skills, let alone time management and business management, very good skills. I would highly recommend it.
0: Very cool. Um. How, how has other people's help been, been important in that process?
1: I think for almost all businesses, the help is secondary to the motivation and the desire to get a, uh, an outcome. So for example, help is tremendously useful. Uh, but if you don't have it, it's not the end of the world. It's just like luck. Luck will help speed you in your process to the outcome you're looking for. But most of the time, if you dedicate yourself to a task, you'll be able to get that outcome, even if you have bad luck. Um, And just taking those problems that that bad luck gives you, solving them, and in some cases being able to use them as inspiration or uh, turn them into a solution for something else. I think that is what defines a good businessman, or woman, of course. Someone that can take a problem and turn it into a solution for another problem. And keep that chain carrying on. I think that's how truly great ideas are gotten into the world, very solving cool. problems.
0: Very cool. I'd love to dig into that more in a little bit. But but before we do, I would love to talk more about hobbies. I know you're a, a, a climbing enthusiast as yes. you work at the gym. Um, how, how long have you been climbing for, Quinn?
1: Oh, my goodness. Almost 10 years now. I started when I was nine. I'm currently, I guess, 18 and a half, you could say. So a very long time. yes very cool um do you you train outside of climbing like do you just climb for fun are you training (laughs) i don't i don't train at all in fact i find training absolutely horrendously boring like weightlifting for example i used to do a little bit in bodyweight exercises as well i hate it it's the most boring repetitive thing i think i've ever done no offense to anyone that can enjoy that i respect that actually But I think climbing is a much more interesting challenge. It's not just physical. It's mental as well. And it's also a puzzle. You have to look at the problem. You have to know what it would be like to do without doing it so that you can predict what it would feel like. You have to create a plan. You have to be able to implement parts of that plan on the wall, but be adaptable because there's no way in hell that that plan is going to work out the way you expect. You're going to need to modify it a lot. And maybe just throw it out from the very first hole that you touch on the wall. And so um, that makes it much more interesting. It's much more of a puzzle. And it's much more mental as well.
0: Uh, are, there any, are there any goals for climbing you're trying to work on?
1: I used to want to be competitive. I think I've given up on that. Uh, there's a certain, uh, I think there's a certain amount of time after which you're allowed to give up on your dreams. And a certain, I should say, a certain amount of work put into a dream without making any progress would justify giving it up. Not necessarily sitting on it for ten years and then saying, I'm going to give this up, even though you haven't put any work into it. But after a certain amount of work, I think you can safely say that uh something isn't going to happen and you should move on.
0: That's a great quote, actually. I like that. Thank you. No, seriously. Um I I, I think it's such a such a fascinating sport. Um and looking at climbing as a whole, I'm curious what you enjoy about it, just because there's so many aspects to it, like, as you mentioned, the puzzle solving, the physicality of it, but also, like, the community and the people mm. and, and the adventures you get from it. Do you get to go outside? And, and uh, what, what do you enjoy from it?
1: <laughs> uh, I've gone outside um, exactly four times in my nine years of climbing. Uh, so, no, I don't, um, I don't do uh, outdoor bouldering or outdoor sport climbing. I don't do any lead climbing, I just do bouldering indoors pretty much only at the Hive. I've only climbed at Hive, um, I've climbed at Hive Vancouver since I think about 2016, 2017 when I moved to Vancouver. Um, I've not even gone to most of the other Hive locations, more than two or three times. I've gone outdoors very little, so it's not so much about exploring or meeting people. The reason I don't go climbing outdoors is I have no one to go with. It's more about making a temporary conversation. I'm not interested in making friends, but just conversing with people about a common problem, this bouldering wall in this gym, how they might solve it versus how I might solve it. Taking different strategies, analyzing them, seeing the strengths and weaknesses of each strategy, and then deciding on the plan. Trying that plan. Maybe it's wonderful. Maybe it's absolutely terrible. You go back and then you re-strategize with them. And I think that's why I'm interested in not so much long-term connections, but just getting to know the community on a short-term basis, looking at problems, finding commonalities in it, creating a plan, executing the plan, and then taking away the lessons for next time.
0: Okay, okay. That's interesting. Um... How has your experience working? Because as I understand it, you're you're what we call the Hive a customer service representative. I was. Oh, what are you doing I, now? I
1: still sometimes do, but I work mostly as an instructor.
0: Oh, that's so cool! No it's way. Very nice. I didn't realize that. Um, damn. Well, now I have even more questions. Yeah, uh, I
1: only make an additional one dollar and thirty-five cents an hour, so it's it's uh, decent, but not as much as you'd think. Honestly, criminal. Um. I don't know. It's so valuable to have good instructors. At Hive, or not Hive, at uh, the Richmond Oval, I saw a post on Indeed a couple of weeks ago, $21 per hour for, for instructor. instructing. Yeah. But besides the point, I love you, Hive. Um, yeah, but... we love you. More money, please, though. I, I would like it. <laughs> not necessary, but it would be nice. Money me, please. But, yes, um, money me.
0: Um. Damn. Okay. Teaching is awesome. I think teaching is so cool. I was going to say, how has your your time working at the front desk impacted your enjoyment of climbing? Because I know for me,
1: it kind Uh, of like neutered it in a way. Absolutely. It makes climbing a chore. It's something that you do either before your shift or after your shift. You're all tired or you know you're about to be tired. You're down. You just do it for the exercise and to maybe forget that you're going to be working in this same gym um and trading your time for money. So working as a customer service representative in the gym that you climb at is not ideal in the long term. In the short term it's great. It lets you meet new people. You get familiar with faces. You can converse more easily about a problem when you're on the mats. But in the long term, especially if you're working more than about 4 days a week, it just becomes pretty awful and the only time you ever rock climb is after before a shift. Yeah, that's fair. So being, being more on the education side of it now, I'm
0: curious as to what reward you've gotten mm-hmm. from teaching people. I think teaching people is super um, positive experience. Mm-hmm. You learn things about yourself, you learn things about climbing and uh, it's very motivating to, to like be with people who are learning. So mm-hmm. how has that experience been for you?
1: It's pretty nice actually. This is funny. I talked um, on Thursday with my science teacher about battery technology, as I think I said in the introduction here. And one of the ways we started the episode off is we talked about teaching. And we compared her teaching to uh, teaching in high school, grade 12, to my teaching of rock climbing and the commonalities between them. And I think it's really nice. We both agree. I think almost anyone would agree. Teaching is wonderful because it gives you a new perspective on the problems that you're faced with. So maybe it's a new way to tackle a uh, buffer solution Uh, in chemistry, a new way to look at the dilution of the buffers and see how the acidity will react based on the moles of something added to a solution, a new formula that you hadn't considered. Or maybe it's a completely different way of doing a rock climb that you would think, that will definitely not work. And maybe it does work, maybe it doesn't. Either way, it's interesting to see how people tackle that problem. And so I really love Not necessarily only to teach beginners, but even just to watch them climbing in the gym. You could see a whole bunch of interesting things, and you could see their thought process as they get on the wall. Whether they've planned the climb or not, you can see them thinking. And it really is quite interesting. Um, Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah, I I definitely find that with beginners, you can tell if people have a plan or not. Yeah. Yeah. If people have put, like, two minutes of thought, like, I'm going to do this, and they do it, they, they look a lot better than, like,
1: ah, mm. and seeing what am how I they, doing? Seeing how they adapt as well if that plan goes to crap.
0: Totally. I, the other thing, which I, I love that you mentioned, is just, like, watching them climb. It's, like, very refreshing because mm-hmm. as people who have been climbing for a long time, we have, like, such a, like, I guess a wide base of experience doing the same moves over and over again. It gets mm. very, like, mechanical almost. You're like, yeah. oh, I see this position. I know I'm going to do a drop near. I know I'm going to flag. And watching someone just, like, do something completely different on it, it's like, oh, that could work.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then uh, even seeing people uh, in the the training room when I'm just trying to show them the the positions in isolation for, for example, a back flag. It's really interesting how much people struggle and how much precursive material they need in order to do a back flag that's something that you just forget about
0: yeah totally it's like oh i remember when i couldn't do this at all Mm -hmm. but like it's been four years of me doing it like Mm -hmm. a couple times a week and now it's so natural you know And
1: now i get pissed at myself if i can't do it perfectly (laughs) and then these people are what i used to be like
0: totally well it's a bit of the perfectionist in you right Yeah. fair but um i guess other than climbing you've got a lot of other hobbies I'm I'm curious about your your watch tinkering. Yes. <laughs> um, what 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 the heck got you into that? And um, what what do you actually do?
1: Yeah, this guy on my wrist got me into it. This is my uh, my grandfather's watch. It's electric. It's built in China. Very cheap. It doesn't work. Completely broken. <laughs> but I've always loved it. I've always wanted to see what's inside of it, even though it is electrical. And I've always thought that watchmakers were so mysterious and that their craft was so interesting uh, and so delicate, so many parts, so much to predict, seeing the movement of the mechanism in your mind and planning out what part should go where. And I found that fascinating. So I stumbled on a YouTube channel, highly recommend it. It's called Wristwatch Revival on YouTube. There are a whole bunch of other great YouTube channels as well devoted to watchmaking. And I just binge-watched his videos. Mm. Each video is 40 minutes to an hour long. So very time-consuming to binge-watch. But I found it fascinating. And so I decided, you know what? I think I'd like to get into this. So I went on eBay and bought some old watches. Really cheap, actually. Just broken. You can just search... um, wrist watch for repair or pocket watch for repair. If you're wanting to start, I'd recommend starting on a pocket watch since it is larger, it's easier to see anything everything. Either way, that's what I did and I got some screwdrivers and I just took them apart and put them back together and they worked. And so I thought, you know what, I want to do a little bit more of this. I got some oilers, I bought some cheap watchmaking oil and and I've just been working on watches taking them apart oftentimes there's a component i don't know where to find that's broken so i'll just leave it apart on my desk until i do hopefully stumble across it i i currently have three watches that are taken apart on my desk i need to find components for uh, but yeah I, I i would highly recommend it very cool
0: it it seems like an interesting hobby just like the 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 minuteness of it yeah yeah very, very tedious do you enjoy that kind of thing though like just just the, the, the precision? What What is it about it that you enjoy?
1: Yeah. That's a good question. I think looking at the mechanism together, comparing it to when it's apart, you look at when it's all together, it looks so intimidating. It's so tightly packed, so many pieces. You take it apart. You take out every single screw, every single gear, absolutely everything into its constituent parts, and you think... That's not as much as I thought it would be. Huh. And it's really nice to see that. And then taking it apart is one thing. Putting it back together is a completely different thing. Taking it apart is very fun. It's actually quite relaxing. There's not much you need to worry about. The thing is quite dirty, so you don't even need to put gloves on. But then you clean it. You put it through isopropyl alcohol baths and paint thinner baths to get off any gunky old oil or any dirt. And then... You have to put on your gloves and take great care not to get any of the pieces dirty as you try to get these tiny pivots on these gears into these tiny holes on the jewels. And you need to remember where each piece goes. And you can pho- photograph the thing as you take it apart to remember where everything goes, but there are so many pieces in the way you won't be able to see everything. You're going to end up thinking, oh, crap, I have two gears. They look practically identical. I can't tell which is which in this image. I need to know which one goes where. And it matters. It matters a lot. You can't swap them, even though they look identical. So you just have to fiddle around with it. See which jewel fits which pivot. See which way the things will turn when you um, push the barrel, which is a part of the watch, goes into the train of wheels, which is a whole bunch of wheels, which turns torque from the, the mainspring into speed, for the balance and the escapement, which is what keeps time. So you look at all these wheels, which one goes where? When I turn the barrel and have all these wheels twisting around, are they catching on each other? Are all the jewels properly lined up with the pivots of these wheels? Is everything where it needs to be? Is there anything gunking it up, slowing it down? Is anything hitting the side of the casing, anything like that? So it is very particular. Taking apart, very easy. Highly recommend. Putting it back together can be absolutely painstaking. But it is so rewarding to put it back together. You put the balance in, the last part. You put it in, and all by itself, it just starts oscillating back and forth a couple of times per second, two to three times per second. And that is so satisfying to see. One of the most satisfying things by far. You screw it back in, put it all back together, put the hands on, make sure they aren't catching on each other, and voila, you fixed a watch. That must be a crazy satisfaction. It is.
0: Would you compare it to like doing a climb you've been working on in a long time?
1: Uh, that's a good question, actually. I like that comparison. I don't think so. With watchmaking, it's easy to get bored. With climbing, you have a whole problem. You can work your way up to the crux of the issue, the part that you keep falling on. And at the very least, you, you could do that part, interestingly, each time. Maybe you get very comfortable with that the, the beginning part and you have a lot of time to think about the difficult part of the problem. And you can start having fun with the bottom of it. With watchmaking, you get to a certain part and then you think, crap, I'm going to be here for the next two hours trying to line these three pivots up with these three holes that they need to line up with. And then those pivots will have three holes on the top it needs to line up with, three holes on the bottom. They're all separate gears. It's impossible to make them fit. And then you just need to fiddle around with them. If you try and screw things together too early, you're just going to snap the pivots and need to order new parts, do the whole thing all over again. So it's very tedious just because you do the same exact, its it would be like being in rock climbing, doing the exact same move over and over and over and over without being able to do the material before it. But also with watchmaking, you don't have the satisfaction of alleviating stress by exercising. It's just absolute boredom <laughs> while you try to get those pivots back together. The rest is amazing, but... um. There, there are a, a few parts of watchmaking that are absolutely infuriating. And then as well, like, for example, with the yoke spring or the mainspring, if you, you're doing, trying to do the same thing over and over and over again, each time you do it, of the dozens of times you try, there's the potential for that spring to just fly to the other side of the room and self-destruct. And then voila, you either need to dig through your carpet and try to find this tiny component that looks like a speck of dust, or order a completely new one and wait for a month for it to ship. So, uh, I think that just makes the satisfaction when it actually <sighs> works all that much better. So much better. Because <laughs> yeah.
0: if it was easy, you'd be not, you wouldn't be satisfying at the end, right? Yeah. Interesting, but yeah, that that seems interesting. I've never really thought about doing it as a hobby, but now I'm just thinking of all the old watches I have that don't work,
1: and I'm like, oh, yeah, ooh. But um, it's very fun, though. I I would highly recommend at least taking it apart the taking apart is the easy part is the easy part highly recommend it very fun interesting
0: well i'll keep that in mind that's that's a that's a other avenue to explore for sure mm-hmm. um there were there were a few other things that you
1: do i wanted to touch on a yeah. little bit um i
0: know you play the piano yes are you are you self taught do you have a piano teacher
1: i have a piano teacher yes and it's interesting i originally got into piano cuz so i wanted to learn violin i have uh, my great grandfather was a luthier He built like um, 80-something violins, a few cellos, and a couple of double basses. I have three or four of his violins. Only one of them is strung and actually works. The others I want to have repaired. But I've always wanted to play it because my father and my grandfather didn't play. They've just been sitting around for literally decades. Um, So I wanted to learn violin. But I thought, you know what, that is supposedly the hardest instrument in the world to learn. So I might start off with something a little bit more easy. I remembered I had a very old electronic, cheap electronic keyboard that my parents tried to make me learn when I was five. Um, I cried and whined when I was five, and thankfully, because I absolutely hated it, so they quit uh, instructing me. I only had a teacher for about a month. So I'm starting from scratch, essentially. I take this old electric keyboard from my basement, start fiddling around with it, and I'm listening to classical music by this point, which is what got me into this. Um, I'd always wanted to learn the violin, stumbled on classical music, and that's what drove me to actually pursue this. Um, and so my parents saw me fiddling around on this old electric keyboard and said, you know what, we'll, we'll let you take piano lessons again, see how it goes. So now I've been taking them for about a year and three quarters. I started in... Uh, on August 17th of 2020. And I've been progressing since then. Violin, I started around the same time, a little bit later. I dare say I'm not quite as passionate about it, but I'm uh, trying to um, reinvigorate myself for it. That's crazy.
0: I didn't realize you'd only been doing it for like a year. Mm -hmm. Very impressive, Quinn. Thank you. I imagine you spent quite a bit of time doing it then.
1: Yeah, Uh, the... Sometimes, I've only done this about twice, but sometimes I'll just get completely carried away and play for literally 10 or 11 hours in a single day on the weekend. Really? Yeah. Uh, more normal is I I used to do just about every weekend about four hours, five hours. More recently, I've only been doing about an hour, but I think that's still It's a lot okay. of time. Mm-hmm. I remember
0: when I used to play piano, I'd do like an hour a week.
1: Fair enough. That's, I was the kid that whined. Yeah, that's me with violin. Not the whining part, but just the lack of motivation. Fair enough. Starting to, um, yeah. Violin, the interesting difference between the two instruments I've noticed. Piano, very tangible. You know right away what you're doing wrong. You can say, okay, I need to speed up. I need to hit this key a little bit softer so it's quieter and improve my dynamics. I need to get my rhythm better. With violin, it's much less tangible. It's more, I have this weird thing that I'm rubbing along a string and it's making noise. I sort of know how I'm controlling that, but I don't know how to improve. I don't know how to take this thing and make a noise that sounds nice, with deep, rich qualities. Whereas piano, that's what you have by default. You just hit a key and you get a nice note. Um, and then piano as well, you can literally see where each note is. Violin, you have to learn by muscle memory over years and years and years. Uh, so it's a lot less tangible, and I think that's why many people find it difficult to learn, and why I have lost, for the most part, lost motivation with the violin. Is just, it seems like the only thing you can do is put in more and more and more time and hope that you get better. That, it almost seems like there's no actual strategy to improve, even though I know that there actually is, but um yeah, difficulty is in pursuing that and maintaining motivation.
0: I mean, violin is a ridiculous instrument. It's tiny, so the the notes yeah. are close together, and then you have to muscle muscle memory every single position within like a few few like hundreds of of centimeters to get the notes right. Otherwise, you're playing like a G half flat or something, you know.
1: Yeah. I actually um I, I took up cello for a little while. I was borrowing a friend's instrument and they needed it back, which is why I quit. I would like to continue in the future, but I found it much more um, easy to get that right note and actually easier as well to get a good sound quality that sounds nice and deep and rich. Uh, So I think cello might be a nice starting point if you want to play a stringed instrument, although violin. Is great as well it's just beautiful. Need to maintain motivation yeah
0: very difficult i actually violin was one of the first instruments i tried to learn to play and i just could not so i'm like so next
1: yeah fair enough <laughs> next
0: um as far as music goes um funny enough my podcast name is music themed and i never talk about music basically because <laughs> the b-side of a record
1: oh that's interesting
0: um but that's besides the point. Um, I'm curious what music you like. I know you mentioned getting into classical music. Are you a a classical buff, or do you you listen to a bit of everything?
1: Oh, I used to listen to pop music. It's funny. I've noticed that when I listen to pop music is the quote-unquote darkest times of my years. I'll go through cycles sometimes of just absolutely out of it. Um, And, yeah, developing bad habits um, like self-harm. And then I'll come out of those cycles... When I listen to pop music and modern music overlaps with when I have those dark times. When I listen to classical music, it helps pull me out. It's very funny.
0: Huh, that's interesting. But I I get that. Music is very emotional, so Mm -hmm. it can tie into that. Do you have any favorite
1: albums or or classical pieces? Oh, I absolutely love Chopin. um, Piano Concerto, I think it's number one or number two in E i think minor <laughs> oh my goodness i sound like i don't know it at all and frankly I, I really don't but it's absolutely beautiful the first movement i think is one of my favorite pieces as far as favorite composers go i'd have to say Rachmaninoff um is amazing the harmonies and melodies that he comes up with i'm currently working on a Rachmaninoff piece uh his prelude opus 32 number 10 in b minor would very fun a bit difficult very nice piece. it sounds
0: difficult very very cool i don't even know if i've heard of
1: that composer before rachmaninoff russian guy rachmaninoff Rach- rachmaninoff. Rachmaninoff. rachmaninoff rachmaninoff it's a russian i i say rachmaninoff normally i think it's supposed to be rachmaninoff i can't roll my r's i'm a french but, person
0: so i roll uh, them with the back of my throat
1: <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> uh but yeah wonderful composer um died in i think like 1944
0: Awesome, more more recent
1: yeah a late romantic era slash i guess very early cinematic era composer
0: well that's crazy i'll have to check it out
1: i'm always keen to find new
0: music Mm -hmm. um i guess as, as far as classical goes do you have any favorite other albums do you listen to any other genres or are you pretty pretty dedicated to your uh to your to your to your bag you know
1: yeah i mostly listen to piano compositions and concertos um I don't listen to as many violin solos anymore. I used to a lot. I'd like to more. They are quite nice. But yeah, as far as other genres goes, I pretty much just listen to late Romantic era. That's my favorite. With a little bit of classical, not much classical. And then a nice sprinkling of Baroque as well. Mainly Bach. Crazy. I love Bach. Bach is great. Yeah, he's got great like conversation <laughs> in his music. How, uh, yeah, like the tension and the resolution. I think he does that really well. Incredible, and the music theory as well.
0: It's very cool. Big shout out to
1: Bach if yeah. you are watching this now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the
0: other thing I was quite curious about is um, drawing. I know you've you've tried your hand at drawing. Yes, is that is that a, a, a bit bit more of like a pastime, just another thing to do, or, or 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 what's your
1: relationship with with art? It used to be. I don't anymore. I still can. Uh, But it just takes so much time. And I'm willing to put in the patience and the time. uh, But frankly, I'd prefer to do other things such as the podcast or schoolwork or just laze around on YouTube. Um, But yeah, I used to do quite a lot of artwork, uh, mainly graphite sketches. Uh, I used to do a lot of hyper-realistic, well, quote-unquote hyper-realistic. I tried to do a lot of realistic... Uh, I've more recently graduated to abstract pieces, just because they're so fast, and frankly, easy. I don't want to use the word easy, but um, uh, much more doable than something hyper-realistic. And you can just let the pencil flow on the paper with an abstract, and just make it up as you go. And I really like that. You can just make a weird shape, and then turn it into something beautiful. Whereas with realistic, you just have all of this structure that you need to worry about the entire time. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really do either of them anymore. Fair enough. It's 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 um really difficult. Yeah, it takes time. It uh, some of the things I used to do for the realistic side would take like 12 or 13 hours. Really? Yeah. Wow. So not hyper-realistic. I shouldn't use that, but realistic i guess aiming for realism yeah yeah i think i I did okay i get that
0: i think it's very cool i i love um i love i love the artistic pursuit i think it's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. funny enough i think podcasts are art in a way
1: yeah i suppose they are
0: i think they are i mean that's why i like it Mm -hmm. it's a it's an art form but um Yeah, I I want to try drawing. I I want to do it some more. I used to try to learn and then I'd stop because I'd be like, oh my God, I spent like 10 hours drawing nothing.
1: I think absolutely anyone can draw as long as they can look at the image that they're drawing and realize skills along the way that they need to pick up and improve as they draw that particular image. And then also patience is the biggest thing by far, just being willing to dedicate hours and hours to something. And trying your best to make it good.
0: Yeah, you have to want to do it.
1: Yeah, definitely. um,
0: Right, before we move on to other things, I got this recommendation for a question, so I figured I'd ask it. Shout out to Reiner, who asked me to ask you this. Do you know what the akathisia mechanism is?
1: Akathisia? Something like that. I can't say I've heard of it, no.
0: Fair enough. It's some weird timepiece found on like an ancient greek greek ship that's like a three thousand year old watch i think i recognize this now yeah from the story it's it's crazy i probably butchered their pronunciation but um actually i didn't probably but (laughs) (laughs) i did that being said i think it's really cool and um i was just wondering if you knew about it what do you think about it i
1: remember seeing some videos about this a few years ago i don't want to make any um predictions or anything, because of course I I know next to nothing about it. I didn't even recognize the name. Um, but certainly worth exploring, although the practicality of exploring it is questionable. Yeah. I think, um, no offense to historians or anything like that, but I'm the type of person that wants to see application of science, not only understanding what we used to know about it or how we used to apply it or anything like that
0: yeah that's true i think people get excited about it for the whole idea like oh these people were primitive they didn't know anything but then here's this like immaculately machined functioning timepiece and be like what the heck you're not supposed to have that
1: who who is this person that asks you to ask me this because i feel very popular now
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's my friend um my, my friend reiner he's the guy that helped me set up this basically oh nice very helpful um yeah, shout out. I always thank him at the end of these episodes because like, I would not be here if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, I would love to move on to mm-hmm. more motivation style questions. Oh, boy. I'm always interesting, always interested to know how people got to where they are and what drives them to do the things they do. So I'm just going to say it. What drives you to be busy all the time? You got so much stuff going on, Quinn. <laughs> are, what, what,
1: why? Honestly, I think just boredom. <laughs> it's uh, weird to say but if I'm, I'm the type of person, I love to binge watch stuff unhealthily. I tell myself, okay, two more episodes of this, this YouTube thing. I don't watch full movies because I think, oh, there's no way I'm going to be sitting here for that long. So I just watch clips on YouTube or I just watch short videos, stuff like that. That's five minutes long. I say, okay, I'll, I'll finish this one and then I'll do something productive. And then I spend days doing that. But eventually I do get bored, thank God. And when that happens is when I kick into productivity mode and I say, okay, I'm going to die soon. My death is going to be sooner than I ever expect. It's been 18 years, I've achieved nothing. Absolutely nothing. I have $15,000 in my bank account. After 18 years, what do I expect to do with my life? At this rate, I'm going to be dead before I know it. (laughs) And so... I use that as my motivation to finally, after days, get up and do something. Whether that is working on the business or founding a business, or working on the podcast or founding a podcast, or just practicing piano. At least it's something productive that's working towards self-improvement. Developing a skill that could be used to make money, which could be used to fund the development of other skills and other projects in the future. So frankly, I think it all boils down to boredom and the knowledge that it's been 18 years in the blink of an eye. In two more blinks, I'll be dead.
0: That's scary, but not not wrong. Um, aversion to boredom is very fair. but I feel like a lot of people are fine with things being normal. Do you feel like very un, uneased about doing nothing?
1: Yeah, yeah. The thought of... Um, Continuing with that laziness throughout my life, that is the ver- the, po- the possible version of myself that I hate the most and want desperately to avoid happening. And so that is why I do these things, to try and change that possibility of becoming a lazy couch potato that achieves nothing, is not notable, has nothing to speak for, and... And the thing that I hate the most about that thought is knowing that in two more blinks of the eye, I'll be dead well, and doing nothing about it. Maybe like three or four.
0: You can, you can get you get
1: 80, 90. Yeah. even Life, if, life expectancy is getting if, higher. Even if I live to 200 years old, I'll be 199 before the time I know it. It's been 18 years. And how many memorize... I, I don't even remember more than a couple years worth of material. I mean... We only remember the interesting parts of our life, yes? Yeah, and particularly the negative ones. Yeah, particularly the negative parts. So, I mean, if you only remember a small fraction of your life, and all of that just seems like a dream anyway, because it's in your past, then what's the point in all that time of having existed anyway? We might as well just be being reborn every day, and just all of our previous life is essentially worthless. It's just a foggy collection of memories that's growing foggier with every single day, and only a handful of memories. So, um, yeah, if I snap my fingers, just like that, we're all dead. Because by the time we get to 200 years old, let's say we live that long, it won't feel like it. We'll look back, we'll have a couple of memories. A memory of our teenagehood, a memory from our I don't know, something crazy happened on our 50th birthday, something like that, we'll have a handful of memories. It'll just feel like a dream. It'll feel like we're just instantly 200 years old and dead. I mean, all we ever have is this moment in time. Exactly. And so the past is negligible. You can take what you can't learn from it, but you might as well consider it as non-existent. And so if you consider the past non-existent, there's no use in saying the future is existent you might as well just say okay I'll be dead like that and that's exactly what it feels like you'll be in your deathbed before you know it
0: <laughs> so you're bringing death closer to you to kind of give you a kick in the ass yeah yeah essentially
1: i that's not a bad strategy
0: frankly um it's pretty depressing though
1: but a little yeah bit. it works sometimes well
0: i mean life isn't nice frankly
1: no life is not nice
0: life is not nice so um it's good to be realistic about it mm-hmm. It's an interesting view i haven't heard many people word it like that but i i get where you're coming from for sure
1: mm-hmm.
0: um how how do you think you've grown through these sorts of things um i know you've mentioned periods of pop music where life has been more gray and i feel like you, you don't have to get into that of course but um having things to do is very empowering. Like it very Mm -hmm. much helps being active, doing things to, to, to occupy the mind. How have you grown through that?
1: Yeah. So I don't know that I have. Um, Could you say the question again?
0: How have you grown through doing things? Like, you you said it's like it's it's self-improvement to like mm. play the piano or to like work on a business get these new experiences like how how has it affected you personally
1: yes being able to look back and say i've developed this new skill and i've honed it and i'm almost happy with where i am at with it is very nice to be able to do and see the development and think about all of the new ways that you could apply that skill whether monetarily or for enjoyment purposes Um, Although I don't think it is healthy to be happy necessarily with a skill, otherwise you'll stop improving it, and then it'll degrade. Uh, So I, I think there's a good balance to be found in there, and I think that's one of the things I've learned over this time with different hobbies is don't be happy with what you have, always strive for more, but ideally, don't be overly unhappy, otherwise you'll just weigh yourself down
0: fair you you want there's a i guess there's a balance Mm -hmm. it's
1: hard to find balance though moderation (laughs) is the challenge
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) um i'm i'm always curious as to how people got to where they are and i think that how we were as kids i'm a big fan of the whole nature versus nurture debate Mm -hmm. um so i guess the question i always ask people is what were you like As a kid, how was your temperament, like your personality in a way, like how you interact with people, your introversion, your extroversion, how sensitive you are, how has that changed over your life?
1: Yeah, this is actually something I've wondered quite a lot myself because going to that idea of forgetting all of your memories, I I don't know. Um, From what I hear from my parents, I was relatively quiet. Uh, For example, well, and then I, I didn't really like toys as well. So an example of that is like Thomas the Train Engine set, my sister would play with a bunch. She's three years older than me. I just didn't touch it. In fact, I found it scary. I remember that. I remember looking at it in horror. (laughs) That's one of the very few memories I have from my childhood is looking at this Thomas the Train Engine set in horror. So I wasn't a very big game person. I was quiet. I hated social events. So for example, my parents signed me up for karate. I would kick and scream and cry, literally cry, on the way to the karate dojo. And then with summer camps, I would plead my parents not to sign me up. Um, and I, I, I think they would consider me quiet. As far as um, things I would do go, instead of playing with games or things, my favorite thing ever, absolute favorite thing to do is take the hose from outside in the garden, and uh, there, there, was, there would be no cap on the hose, it so would just be coming out almost laminar. I I would put it on a plane of glass, vertical plane of glass, like a window, and just watch the water run down it. I remember my parents telling me that they thought I had gone catatonic <laughs> because I would just stay there apparently for hours staring at the water as it float down the window so i'm sure the water bill was awful but that's okay it was fun it was worth it it was amazing
0: very cool and, and that's interesting so from from being a, a very like introverted kid who is kind of like out of the idea of social interaction and playing how how have you changed like at least from my perception of you which is quite limited um you're, you're quite an outgoing person Yeah, like you're going even out of your way to to find people and talk to them and put it publicly. So so how has has that changed for you?
1: I think I go out of my way to talk to people only when there is something in it for me, frankly, like the podcast doing the podcast Um, and then instructing rock climbing as well. I I can get some joy out of it because there's a commonality rock climbing that we're talking about and strategizing about socializing in general. I can do it for a little while, mostly as a courtesy, but overall, I like to avoid it. That's why, for example, with people at the Hive, as I said earlier, I don't form friendships. I just talk to people for a little while, and I try not to let those friendships bleed outside of the Hive. Same with school. I'll have friendships in class. I I don't socialize outside of class. I've done that before, and it went badly. We all got drunk, and things went not good. And so since then, I've just, nope, I'm not forming deep friendships. Um, or at least not that letting them spill out of whatever circle that is from. Hmm. and so like the best my best friend as an example um is a guy i climb with at the hive and we just walk to the sky train together and then we don't speak for the next week until we only climb mondays that's it i see him once a week and that's my best friend huh so yeah i can socialize and i enjoy it for short periods of time uh, and i enjoy quality conversations talking about ideas not for example other people but, um, yeah, I don't like to linger with people. Fair enough. People are weird. People are weird. People are really weird, Quinn. People are very weird. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm, I'm always wondering, how do you deal with
1: failure? <sighs> That's a good question. I don't know how to answer that. How do I deal with failure? It depends what I've failed in. If it's something I've dedicated a lot of time to, I will get pissed. I will break things. All of, you can look at my phone, all the cracking on it, there's spider webbing in the glass. The screen has literally popped out of the case of the phone because the back is bent. I throw that thing so much. And that's what happens if I work on something for a long time and it fails. I'm very mad. And then I'll just quiet down and say, okay, what can I learn from this? Then I'll go back and try again. If it's something I've not dedicated a ton of time to, then I'll just, eh, okay, that's ruined my day, but I'm not going to get too upset about it. So... I don't deal with failure well is the answer. (laughs)
0: Fair. But I mean, I think the most important thing... Beyond the label of dealing with it well or poorly is the lesson you learn from it, right?
1: Yes, yes, and then being able to reapply that lesson in the future on an instant's notice.
0: Yeah, it's super valuable. Super valuable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. Right. Um, I what. Sorry, I'm stumbling a little bit. How How does your ability to be active affect your mental health? Like, I know for me personally, if I. If I spend a lot of time doing nothing, I just feel terrible. I get very depressed. I do nothing. And it kind of spirals. Mm. Um, And I know for a lot of people, they can just not be active for like months and be fine.
1: Mm. Frankly, I think I have relatively good mental health. And I think uh, like activity. So climbing is the only activity I do. Can both play positively and negatively in that. So, for example, if I'm struggling on a climb that I think I should be able to do fairly easily, I go a little bit ballistic inside. And um, if I'm doing well on climbs and performing better than I expect, then that's wonderful. That absolutely makes my day, almost no matter what else has happened earlier in the day. So it really depends on how well I'm doing on that particular day. Um, Overall, I think... Activity is a, a good outlet for anyone. Activity is great, honestly. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's interesting. So, have, have you had periods of inactivity and, and does that affect you?
1: Yeah, not really in memorable history. Huh. Um, I've been rock climbing relatively consistently for the last five or so years at the Hive. Before that, I had a two year hiatus as my parents were taking the family and traveling a lot. Uh, and then before that hiatus, I climbed uh, again when I was nine in New York. And I don't really remember much of that two-year hiatus period. Uh, I only remember not so much um, my need to exercise or lack of need to exercise, just things that we were doing, like traveling, which maybe in and of itself is enough of a um, mental change to make up for that lack of exercise. True, But um Yeah. I don't think the lack of exercise affects me too negatively. I have had... Yeah, actually, I, I did take a break when I broke my ankle about a year ago. And I, I wasn't badly affected, honestly. Huh. It um, Yeah, I was completely inactive. And I actually, the only thing that sort of depressed me about that period, I, I went off keto. I'd been on keto for a few months. Uh, and I had to go off when I broke my foot I just didn't want to deal with all of that at the same time. But yeah, I got through it fine without exercise. That's good to hear. How's how's your ankle doing? It's been a year, right? Well, yeah, it's um, it clicks a lot. Yeah? <laughs> just I think it's a soft tissue issue, but it doesn't actually um, hurt or anything, so I just leave it be. I don't care if it clicks as long as it doesn't hurt. Uh, it's actually, ironically, the other foot that is becoming the issue now. Uh, my chiropractor thinks that because I was limping onto my left foot, because my right foot was broken, that that is what is this, caused this delayed issue in my left foot. So there's no individual incident that caused issues there. But yeah, anyway, right foot is doing well. Left foot is uh, supposed to be my good foot. It's betrayed me.
0: Fair. Actually, funny, that kind of happened to me recently. I, I tore my quad, and then a few, like a month later, I started getting this nerve pain in my other leg because I was compensating with it. But it's been getting better. Slowly but surely. But yeah, injuries yeah. suck. It always it always sucks. But that's interesting. I found most people I know who are very dedicated to a sport get like very out of it when they can't climb. So that's an interesting answer. I wasn't really expecting that. Hmm. Um, right. Are 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 you a student? Yes. Yes. Uh, grade twelve. Great. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, do you know what you want to go into after high school?
1: Oh. What I tell my parents is they'll go to UBC and study physics. And uh, then move on to medicine. Go to the Royal Society... No. Nah, yeah. Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, uh, which is a medical school, after getting a degree in physics at UBC. And then become a cardiothoracic surgeon. Which is what I wanted to do for a long time. I wanted a deg- I wanted to have a degree in physics. And I wanted to become specifically a cardiothoracic surgeon. And I still don't mind that outcome, but what I want to do now is just ditch school after high school and focus entirely on my business um, and hopefully founding other businesses as well. In the very long term, it sounds like the dream of a literal five-year-old, um, and this is the dream that I had when I was a literal, literal five-year-old. I'd like to go into tech though and become a tech entrepreneur
0: you want to you want to be a Silicon Valley
1: driving driving your Lambo in the hills? Oh no, not a Lamborghini! My goodness, you offend me. <laughs> a Porsche, of course. Ah, man of class, I see. Mm.
0: <laughs> Porsches are fun; they are very nice. Absolutely, I had a boar in one once. Uh, you borrowed one? No, I was I was I was like sixteen, but I would just driving in a Porsche with my my uh, someone in my family, and we hit a wild boar.
1: Oh, (laughs) well, that's uh, interesting.
0: What's funny is the board did better than the Porsche. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's a story for another day. Um, But no, I like Porsches. They're beautiful cars. They are amazing. gorgeous. That's interesting. Business is cool. I I, I like business, but I don't think I have it in my brain to do that. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm just um, hoping that once I am in that stage out of school, I'll have the motivation and the courage, I suppose, to just go at it and do business. Well, the thing
0: you can always do a gap here. Like your high school transcript isn't gonna disappear. You don't yeah. have to go directly into it. You could spend like two, three years doing it, and then if like it doesn't work out for you, you know, you put your time into your dream. Yeah, you can you can go to school, keep going. Yeah. So I don't know. There's there's options. Um, Actually, I really want to interview my boss. He's a super good businessman. So keep oh, your to it for that. I'm gonna do it once my basement is renovated. Mm-hmm. For the people that don't know, this is my attic space. <laughs> it's a big mess. Um, It's terrible.
1: It's moderately bad.
0: It's not awful. I mean, it's functional.
1: It's functional. That's what matters.
0: <laughs> That's what counts. But um yeah, I no, I'm keen. Uh, there'll be a new space soon. Um this is we're actually coming up to my, my last question. We've been rolling for a bit over an hour. Oh my. Which is which is actually pretty short for one of my podcasts, frankly, but uh it it's been it's yeah. been really good. If you have anything else on the top of your mind, by all means spew it at me. Of course. Um I guess I'm wondering, what what would you say to someone who is thinking to do a hobby or is binge watching YouTube videos of something they think is interesting or they have this idea, but they haven't done it What, what do you do? What do you say?
1: Do uh, some research uh, See what it's like to do that thing uh, See if you can find a YouTube video or a person to explain to you what it is actually like to do that thing and to be successful or to fail How often you might expect to fail or succeed and try to match that hobby with your interests. And yeah, if you are interested then my strategy, <laughs> it, it might be expensive depending on what hobby you're looking at, but it's just trial and error. Uh, just if it's watchmaking for example, get your hands on a cheap broken watch on eBay. You can find a really cheap one. I got one of mine for six dollars, including shipping. Um, <laughs> so you can find them really cheap and just take it apart. And just try the hobby out. See if you like it. If it's something more expensive, uh, like for example piano, having to buy an actual piano and take lessons maybe, see if you can just maybe learn a little bit on your own. And maybe find a piano at a piano shop or something and ask if you can just doodle on it for a little while. See what it's like. Again, just trial and error is the method I use. If you're not planning on sticking with the hobby for a long time that might be very expensive for you but uh, i i think i would recommend it although you might want to do a little bit more research than i do first i mean it hasn't done you too poorly right no no i suppose not but uh might as well play it on the safe side
0: that's true this is this is for the the average joe i don't know how many average joes watch my podcast it's just like people i know i guess <laughs> yeah fair enough and a bunch of skateboarders for some reason i don't know why skate skateboard- i'm joking but, um, skateboarders, skateboarders, uh, I interviewed a bunch of longboarders and now there's a bunch of longboarders that follow me who I don't know. And it's really weird. <laughs> You're weird. Hello, weird people. Just kidding. I love you all. <laughs> Please don't leave. <laughs> um, I, I think that's all the questions. Oh no, I did have one more question for you, Clint. I did have one more question for you. Oh
1: yeah. Um, do you have any role models? Ah, uh, not really role models. I mean... I suppose I'm inspired by Elon Musk's ability to just go at a project with all of his might, make it succeed, and then just be able to give it up and move on to the next thing once the idea is out there and well-founded. I respect that and admire that. I, I'm i not sure if I would consider that a role model per se, but yeah, there are people that I, I suppose I look up to.
0: Yeah, I think I think we got to have people to like look at and even if it's like, oh, I think Elon Musk's business ethics is great, but would I want to have his personal life? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. Fair so enough. So you got to take the good, leave the bad. You know, that's why it's inspiration, not imitation.
1: Mm-hmm. But um,
0: I don't know. Elon's a funny dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a very funny dude.
0: <laughs> Strange fella, but um, I don't know. I think I think I think that's that's the questions.
1: Wonderful. Well, it's uh, been an absolute pleasure to be here with you. It's been so fun, honestly.
0: Um, and, and make sure if you're watching this, check out, check out Quinn's, Quinn's content. We did an episode together. You can hear me ramble about drug use, (laughs) um, which is something I think is pretty interesting. Drugs are pretty cool, but it's a very
1: interesting episode. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Don't please don't do drugs. (laughs) I mean, anyway,
0: um, I want to say thanks. There's a lot of people I like to say thank you to. So thank you. Thank you. My thank pleasure. you for coming out here. I really appreciate it. It's been it's been a great time. Uh, I appreciate you letting me pick your brain, chatting about what you're into. I think it's awesome. Um, I want to say thank you to whoever is watching or listening to this. Uh, you're crazy. Why? <laughs> but also thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been amazing, the support I've received and, um, and the, the people that have watched this. So thank you all. I really appreciate it. Uh, I want to say thank you to Reiner again, uh, which I already did, but I'm going to do it again because he's helped me out a lot. Uh, he gave me the backdrop. He's taught me how to do all the lighting, taught me how to do the audio. Literally everything I know is just like, this is how you do it. Like, Thanks. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks to my dad who helped me get some of the gear. Thanks to my friend Noah for letting me use his editing software, which is now expired. Noah, please update it. Uh, <laughs> thank you to my friend Sam Mitchell for helping me with the theme music um, and ma- well, helping me making the theme music. So thank you, dude. Thank you to my friend Eldritch who um, made my banner and my cover art. It's because of you that I have an image on the internet, which is weird to me. I don't like being perceived. And um, big thank you to my mother, who is my only sponsor. Shout out if there's sponsors out there. I love money. Money me now, please. Um, but yeah, mom, thanks. I appreciate it. Can I get a little round of applause for mothers? Mothers. All right. That's the show. Love you all. Thank you. Bye.